0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season whether i was out west during my elk hunt south dakota mule deer hunt or my rut vacation in iowa i was on my phone using onyx maps every part of the day whether i was looking at terrain features uh on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their uh uh, on their app, or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole, or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands, or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position, or from my truck to a tree stand location, I used Onyx Maps every single day. And I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map, and uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before. I had to wait till sun up and then and then you know find it that way. But that problem does not exist anymore because of Onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that I think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code NATION20 and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So, onyxmaps.com. All right, everybody, here we go again. Welcome. To the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today's podcast is about work ethic. It's about mentors and not necessarily in the in the world of hunting, but in life. And the reason I wanted to have a discussion like this today with uh, my sidekick Bob Polanek is because my grandmother recently just passed away. And I wanted to Basically, talk about this about the key players in my life, the people who have impacted my life, who have influenced me, people that I look up to, and my grandparents were one of them. Uh, Not just my grandma, but my grandpa. He passed away like uh, nine, ten years ago, and my other set of grandparents as well. And these guys had a huge. They played a huge role in my life. And I wanted to express that in today's episode and not just my grandparents, but we talk about several other people too. So me and Bob kind of um, talk about uh, people who've influenced us in our life. Uh, we talk about work ethic. We talk about uh, people who have mentored us or, or who, who, who we thought have um, maybe paved the way before us or maybe gave us something else to think about. Uh, out there and then we kind of at the end swerve all the way back around and we talk about hunting and mentors and hunting and what we've learned from failure and and all these things so if you're looking for an episode that is strictly hunting this isn't it uh, this is kind of a a little bit of a, a dive into I know uh, of who I am and where I came from as far as where I'm at today um, so it's just I guess a, a little bit more of a look into my life and uh, why I like to work so hard at achieving goals and things like that. So that's what today's episode is about. And, you know, I talk about the passing of my grandma, but I I turn on the TV today and I see that Kobe Bryant passed away in a helicopter crash and man, it just, it, it just makes a guy want to live his life the best he can with the with the life that he's given and I always say this life isn't about possessions it's about experiences and who you have those experiences with like the brand of your jeans or your truck or or how big your house is or how much money in the bank is completely irrelevant it's about happiness it's about experiences and you know seeing someone who is literally a year and a half older than me die from an accident makes me want to go out and live a better life Uh, and not just uh, go out and go on trips and experience things things, but treat people with respect, be kind to one another and just put out good vibes in the world. And I swear to God, man, if you can do that, if you can just, if you can block out all the bullshit, throw kindness out there, you're going to get kindness and good vibes back, man. So, um, not, not really much to say on that other than you know go out and be the best person that you can be every single day, and I'm telling you it's gonna you're gonna be happier because of it, uh, and uh, it makes it makes you sit down and think about especially for me I got three kids I got a wife I want to be there for them I want to make sure that I impact their life like others have impacted my life and uh, that's kind of a a perfect segue into today's podcast and you know I'm going to do a commercial here because I got to do a commercial and it's about lone wolf uh, tree stands these guys have uh, supported me uh, for like three years now and I truly believe in their in their products right their, their tree stands if it, their product is one of the reasons that I was able to I guess kind of become successful and it's kind of molded me into the mobile hunter that I am today and uh, so do me a favor and just go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com Take a look at all of the tree stands that these guys make. They have hang-ons. They have climbers. They have uh, climbing sticks, and they have some other gear and accessories. And if you guys uh, purchase over $200, it's like $199, you can enter the discount code 9FC50. So if you order $199 or over and you enter the discount code 9FC50 you're going to get 50% or excuse me you're going to get $50 off of your purchase so that's like damn near 25% so uh, take that into consideration it's a great deal with a great American made uh, product and the functionality of it is ridiculous so uh, take a look at lonewolf huntingproducts.com There's the commercial. We're done with the intro. Let's just get into today's work ethic and mentors podcast right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. And today my sidekick is Mr. Bob Polanik. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, man. Just, uh, Glad the week's coming to an end, and I uh, got some warm weather, and I got a nice river date with my wife tomorrow. Nice. So
0: that's yeah. one of my one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about. I saw on IG you were uh, <laughs> uh, out in the snow doing some uh, fishing or spending some time with a wife uh, going after steelhead.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah. So actually, so she's got Thursdays off, and uh, so I. I'll try to sneak a Thursday off here and there, and the weather looked good. So I was like, ah, oh, let's go fishing for the day. Thursday, shouldn't be anyone on the river, blah, blah, blah. So we get up at 530 in the morning. got like an hour and a half drive down to the river. We want to fish. And we get there, pull up to the launch. I pull the cover off of my boat, and there's four inches of ice in the bottom of it. Oh. Solid. <laughs> Solid. Light. Like probably 80 pounds worth.
0: Jesus. Were you able to pull yeah. it out?
1: Uh-uh. no i just well i mean i just pulled it to the launch and i started getting my cover off i got my cover halfway off and i looked at it i looked at my wife and i was like want to go for a hike <laughs> <laughs> i was like because we are not we're not floating down the river of this thing today <laughs> so That's so funny. i put the cover yeah I put the cover back on and went downstream and went and walked in and did uh fished a couple different holes, no luck, and ended up just, we actually went and saw a movie, just had a, had a date day, so, and then I said, we'll, uh, we'll retry that whole drift boat trip tomorrow, Gotcha. Gotcha. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, so tomorrow is when, tomorrow, Saturday, uh, is when you're heading out to do that.
1: Yes, yeah, boat is still uh currently thawing out in the heated garage at my work.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, shit happens, right?
1: <laughs> that's uh, I mean, and the only thing I could do, I just did pull my plugs out. You yeah, it's all on me. It's literally it's that's one of those moments where you just have to suck it up and say, yeah, I am an idiot.
0: I thought so. you told me at the ATA show you told me, hey Dan, I'm no slap dick, but that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like something a slap dick would do.
1: Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I am a slappy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. You I know. Be able to- it's better to call yourself out too because then you just take that out of people, you know. Yeah. You take that ammunition away from people if right. you just call yourself out.
0: Well, I was going to make fun of that guy, but he made fun of himself, so I guess I'll just forget about it and move on.
1: Right. right. It's right. like uh it's like Eminem in 8 Mile at the last rap. He just he just mocks himself, calls himself <laughs> out on everything, and he wins the competition. It's easy. Yeah. It's
0: a, it's a mic drop moment. It is a mic drop moment. It is. Well, Uh, anyway, (laughs) congratulations on that, but, uh, let's see here. I want to talk real quick about shed hunting. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I, I want to get your opinion. I'm going to share my opinion on, um, this time of year and shed hunting. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who love shed hunting. I am a huge shed hunting fan. But then there's a group of people that are like, oh man, you got to stay out of the woods and give the deer, uh, you know, give the deer an opportunity to calm down and and don't put so much pressure on them this time of year. And, and all, all of this, um, a, are you a shed hunter? And B, do you think that shed hunting impacts like herd health to the point where if you keep pressuring these deer, these does are going to have miscarriages and the herd's going to die?
1: Uh, I am a shed hunter. I'm not a very good shed hunter. I've only found a handful of sheds in my entire life. Um, I don't think – I think it would probably be area-specific if it puts uh, a lot of pressure on deer. I, where I'm at in northern Michigan, there's probably 12 to 16 inches of snow on the ground. Right. Um, so there's no point in going shed hunting right now. Yeah. By the time – the for us, by the time the snow melts, you're talking – march and if you're going to be bumping deer around in march when there's no snow on the ground i don't i don't it's not like they're going for like a 10 mile run because you bumped them yeah like i don't i don't i don't think it puts that much stress on them yeah um now you take it away from whitetails i know like i want to see states like utah maybe i don't know what other states do it but they have like a season almost yeah like you can't go and but I think they do more more harm than good because all there's no shed hunting, no shed hunting, no shed hunting. And then all of a sudden, one night, there's everyone lined up with ATVs and horses and everyone's running up a mountain. I think that puts big stress on a herd. But as far as Midwest guys or, you know, Great Lakes area guys like my son, you know, we are all getting out in the woods at different times. I can't imagine that really puts that much stress on a deer herd
0: yeah i don't know man i I think maybe in uh situations where the maybe there's been snow on the ground for four straight months and you know you're you're getting reports of starvation and things like that and and yes the the does are pregnant but you know i have never seen a year where a deer herd just completely dies off And and I'm only talking about my local ecosystem, you know, where the winter's been so bad that they haven't been able to survive and they've all just frozen to death in their beds, right? You you get reports of that. Uh, We
1: had that. We had that here in Michigan, uh, the winter of 2013 to 14, I believe it was. Yeah, there was, I mean, everyone was fighting dead deer. I, I, I had never seen on like the cedar trees and stuff like that. I had never seen so much of the uh like the cedar like bark and limbs all like eaten so high up on cedar trees because they were just those snowpack was so high for so long that they just everything was getting demolished. That's it, all they could eat. Yeah. And then um yeah, there was just there was more winter kill on everyone's property. So um but it's that's a circle of life, man. That's why we hunt. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing about um uh,
0: shed hunting is or this time of year is, you know, these deer have evolved to the point to where their their bodies have been stressed. I mean, it's genet I mean, it's genetically passed on, and this is how these animals have evolved to accept pressure this time of year, right? I mean, yeah. for you know, if you're gonna, I mean, ex- I mean, think about some of these deer up in Saskatchewan. That, I mean, snow comes in in November. And it doesn't leave until April. Right. So some of that is probably, um, you know, they're getting some additional feed from some of the farmers or or the the people who are running the outfits up there. Maybe that's helping out. Maybe it's not not, you know, I'm not 100 percent a professional on that. But I just think that, uh, you know, I don't think it necessarily plays a huge role unless you're on a piece of property to where the deer they're you're bumping deer every single day and in my experience is if you're bumping a deer they're going to go someplace where the pressure you know where they're not having pressure and they'll just chill there they'll find the places just like the hunting season right they will find the places that have the least amount of pressure and that's where, where they will relocate to so the reason right. i mean the only reason i'm not out pounding you know pounding right now doing shed hunting is because i know they're probably haven't dropped yet and I know that if I do go in and start bumping deer they're going to go drop on the neighbors and I don't want that right so it's right. not necessarily for me it's not necessarily a thing where I'm worried about a deer herd dying I'm more worried about them dropping their antlers on other farms so right. that, I mean I'm, makes...
1: I, I agree with that I agree with that totally
0: yeah Yeah, but I tell you what man I'm jacked because uh, I just it's almost like come mid february march i've been inside so long and we just got probably four or five inches last night and we got another couple inches coming this uh you know this uh this weekend and i think that it's going to be a good year for shed hunting because there's still some standing crops in the area and when you can find a standing cornfield this time of year that and the snow comes now when it did dude shed hunting could be amazing this year in the in the crp in the uh it just it just concentrates all of them right within right you know, half a mile from these cornfields these deer are just they're just they just move in to the closest yeah. cover and uh the same exact scenario happened uh two or three years ago when i went out and i found like in t- in a two-day period found like 15 sheds and i was just yeah, I, I
1: remember jacked. i remember an insta video that you shared where you were walking through a cornfield a, a cut cornfield and it was all it was sunny out and you were just like yep yeah, here's one here's another oh, one yeah. here's another one i was like you found more sheds in five minutes than i had in my fair life <laughs> yeah it was crazy
0: <laughs> that that particular day i walked around um basically just through the buffer strips um and the waterways of this big 80 acre cornfield uh, and found i think i want to say i found 14 sheds in 45 minutes it was yeah. crazy and that was uh that would have been the biggest one was to the deer that i eventually killed in 2018 so uh I that's a win dude i lo- i just i don't know and plus it just allows you to get out and stretch your legs and if you're observant you can you know do the scouting the scouting part of it and you know tie it all together and uh man it's a win it's yeah a win.
1: we're um we're planning on doing a shed hunt in a day in nebraska and then a day in iowa this year last year was going to be kind of like our first like big midwest shed hunting trip but then where we hunt um I've said this many times, but where we hunts along the Missouri River and it flooded out in the spring. So we ended up, the one of the farms we were worried it was going to be underwater, and then everyone else was dealing with, you know, washed out roads and stuff like that. So we didn't really feel like bothering farmers, you know, hey, can I go shed hunt your property when your county's in a state of emergency? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah. But, no. Yeah, I just hope that the melt doesn't happen so fast because uh, a lot of the ground that I do shed hunt, is river bottom ground, and if it if it thaws real fast, then it just gets flooded out, and then the, it bumps the deer up, and then they typically drop in the hills or up closer to the flatland, and then it becomes harder to find because now you're dealing with walking through timber to find them instead of the the buffer strips and the the grass. So, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. yeah. All right, hard transition to today's topic, and. Um, I got, I got to preface this with something because, um, this week my grandma passed away. She was 89 years old and it had me, it had me thinking about people who have influenced us in our lives, whether that has been a, a mentor outside of the hunting world or maybe inside of the hunting world, someone that you looked at and said, Jesus, man, that person, knows what they're doing. They, they work hard or, you know, someone you just kind of have looked up to. And I wanted to, you know, mostly be selfish here and talk about my, my grandma and my grandparents and uh, some of the other people in my life who have kind of played an impact, you know, had an impact on my life, how I act, how I uh, go about, you know, achieving goals and, and all of these things. So that's, I kind of wanted to uh, do that. What do you think?
1: Absolutely, man. First off, um, sorry, for, sorry for your loss. Yeah. Uh, I kind of talked about it a little bit off air, but yeah, sorry yeah. for your loss. It's always tough. I know. Obviously, you said she's eighty nine, um, but yeah, it's always tough. Yeah. So.
0: so let's see, um, mentors, and I think the best place. I, I just want to start. You know, I. You know, I talked about my grandma there and I want to I want to start with my grandparents right and for me it's crazy because I look I know my mom and dad worked hard but I never I never was able to see my dad work hard in his office or cubicle or I was never able to watch my mom work hard at her job. I I wasn't there to experience that. So why I, and I I appreciate everything they've done for me over, over, you know, my life, but I I had this, I have this huge impact on my grandparents because I was able, um, they were my babysitters for the first handful of years. You know, um, I would say the first six or seven years before we moved away and I was And then we would come back in the summertime and I was able to watch them work hard. If that makes sense, you know, watch them go out and plow the fields and work the livestock. And, you know, it was a seven day a week thing. It wasn't like, Hey, we're going to work, uh, we're going to work five days today. uh, And and then we're going to have a weekend off, you know, that uh, I come from a farming community, both sets of grandparents were farmers. And if they didn't work, right, they didn't eat, they didn't get the money from the sales, right. From the the crops, from the livestock. And, and so I was able to absorb that at a fairly young age and look and look at that and say, my, These guys work hard and they have to work hard because, yeah. you know, this is the this is the prof, uh, profession that they've chosen. And I think that had a huge impact on my work ethic today. You know, maybe not so much as a youngster where I wasn't able to comprehend what it is they were doing. But as I became a man and grew up a little bit uh, and started maturing, I, I saw that. And I said to myself, Phew, if you want to achieve a goal, you have to, you have to work like that. And I always use them as kind of a benchmark to, you know, say, Hey man, if you want to achieve a goal or if you want to be successful, I have to work like grandma and grandpa did. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, that you know, with with my grandma's passing, my grandpa passed away. Uh, you know, I think like seven or eight years ago now, and uh, my grandma today. Um, like I said, just watching that, watching that interaction, and, and like me being a part of that, because like I said, they were on a working farm, and they were also my. Uh, They were also my babysitters. So my mom and dad would drop us off at the farm. They would go to work. And then I was in the combine. I was in the tractor. I was going to the sale barn. I was, you know, you know, helping load sheep or or not sheep, uh, hogs and and, uh, cattle into the, you know, trailers and scooping manure and, and, and just watching all of that. And, you know, for me, it was fun back then right right. A- and i got to i got to observe that do did you have anybody like that in your life
1: no no um i mean my parents both worked hard but like you said it was not it wasn't anything that i could physically see yeah um and it was another i mean and it is another that you don't really appreciate it until you, like you said you go out in the world and you start working on your own and yeah you become a man and you realize what your parents actually did for you. Yeah. Um no, it's great that it's great that I mean for you to experience that at a young age definitely speaks to it can it, it transforms who you're going to be as you grow up. Right. And I mean um yeah, that's hard working Americans are uh a dying breed probably.
0: Yeah. I'd Uh, I'd say that. I'd say that, dude. Yeah.
1: I I don't, I don't, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, (laughs) you know, the new generation coming up, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's something to be said for It's, there was a lot of hard work. Yeah. I think, um, so for mentorship, as far as working hard, I started working some pretty hardcore construction when I was 19. Yeah. And, um, that, that changed my work ethic. I was uh, when I was 15, 16, 17, I was pushing carts at a grocery store and then from there um, I had a couple of different odd odd jobs and then um, and I was partying, I was, you know, 18, 19, I was partying, I was at, going to community college and you know, it was a, it's a it's a good time in a young man's life. Yeah. But um, I got a job offer and it was uh, I was travel. I had to relocate. They were going to pay for my apartment, and everything. Like that it was entry level entry level labor position. It was on a dredging. It's for a dredging company. It was a company I work for now. Just a, the other division. And uh, I got there. I mean, I couldn't have been. I was never scared of physical labor, but I had never done anything like that before. And after a couple weeks, I mean, you kind of you get you get in shape, you know um you get used to it i was working 12 hour days six days a week you're away from home so that's easy to do if i was ever at home i don't think i could ever work that many hours in a week yeah. i just would i would always feel like i was missing out on too much with friends and family but when you're away you're there to make money blah 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 but yeah that uh, and, and working around some rougher guys that some no nonsense guys i mean after my first week i asked one of like the, the foreman i said is there anything i can do to like how am i doing is there anything you want me to improve on? And he goes, Yeah, you need to take less breaks. And I was like, Dude, <laughs> I'm wearing I'm wearing Tyvek. This is a contaminated dredging project. I'm wearing Tyvek, and we're working 12 hours a day, and it's the summer, and yeah. I like I'm drinking 15 to 20 bottles of water a day, and hardly peeing, and I'm like, You you want me to take less breaks? Yeah. So that was like my first like gut check of like you can do a lot more. So <laughs> that's,
0: yeah. that's funny. Um, I can remember one summer hot as balls out. Right. And we just got done, uh, baling hay and we had, you know, it's, it's like 85, 90 degrees outside, you know, typical hot, humid Iowa summer. And, uh, we're, we're in there and, uh, my, my, I think it was one of my uncles and my grandpa and myself were, you know, um, loading the the bales from the wagon into the barn and I said to my grandpa I go hey can I I need a break I was probably like late teens I was probably in high school and and he didn't even say anything and my uncle didn't even say anything they just laughed and kept working and I was like (laughs) that was kind of a shock to me and I was like oh Jesus Uh, that I felt like an idiot when I even asked for it at that point and then I you know you just you just work until the job is done and um that's and that kind of gotten me in trouble uh, later on in my life as a manager
1: yes because yes. <laughs> I went
0: into every job especially in any management roles that I had with that same expectations, whether you're sitting at a computer and you're doing data entry or you are, um, you know, you are breaking concrete. I would, I would sit there and these guys were like, Hey man, we're going to go to break. I'm like, break, (laughs) what's a break? You know, you don't need break. You're a grown man, right? You can break is when you go home after work. Right. And that that kind of got me in trouble over the years, because, I I mean, I just I came from a real hardcore family when it came to work. It's like if you didn't have a job, you're a bum. If you uh, if because there's jobs anywhere and there's always a a position available where, you know, get a shovel and start digging a hole and you can find a job doing that. And so I saw that that hardcoreness in the farm in a farming environment and i thought that i could easily translate that into other environments and it did not work out right so i could uh i would just you know from my other uh from my other my my bosses who had put me in these managerial roles were like dude you have to chill out because people hate your guts and i'm just like well first off i don't give a shit and second of off you know i want to be as efficient and as humanly possible and they're like they're like yes we understand that but there are literally rules that say people have to have work right. know, breaks throughout <laughs> the day so you need to stop yeah. being an asshole so i had to, yeah. i had to calm down a little bit um at that point but
1: i I hear you there. There's definitely different personalities. Um, I came from, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know how to say it without sounding bad, but like my, my parents were divorced when I was six and the rest of my family, my especially on my dad's side, very tight family, very conservative. Um, all my aunts and uncles are still married. They all have got like four or five kids, church every Sunday, that whole thing. And then you got my dad that knocked up my mom. I had my brother, they got married, they had me, got divorced, blah, blah, blah. But like for the most part, like still kind of came from like very like privileged. like went to, I was, I went to a Catholic school, uh, K through 12, like, you know, you don't realize that you're being raised like with some extra privileges until again, you become a man and see what the world really is. Right. But, um, yeah, same thing. When I was 19, I started working construction and got my, my butt kicked into the ground. But by the time I was 21, 22, I had been, I went back to school, got, cause I had dropped out of college to go to to just work full time, which my dad was really happy with. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I got like a, a, a shift supervisor position. And when you're 22 and you're working 12 hours a day outside and you got 40 year old guys that are working with you. You don't realize at 22 how much energy you have, how much more energy you have compared to someone that's twice your age. Yeah. And I remember having guys look at me like, dude, you don't even know what it's like to work this much and be my age. Yeah. And I'm like doing the same amount of work. In fact, I'm doing more work than you. Why can't you keep up? So, <laughs> and yeah. I, and I they're just
0: – they're thinking about hitting you with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and, uh, okay. So my first job was when I was in third grade and I got a paper route after work and it was probably like 30 houses in the neighborhood that I would have to deliver the paper to, you know, I would go to the guy's house where the newspapers were, were dropped off, roll them up, rubber band them, put them in a bag and take off and, and deliver the newspaper. And that was my first job. And I liked it you know, uh, aside from a couple crazy people that you'd have to run into a day or getting attacked by a dog or whatever. Cool, you know, cool job, fun job. And then my mom was like, as I got older, I got into sports and, uh, she's like, well, okay, now you need a job, right? You gotta, you're old enough now where you can have a job. So I became a lifeguard and you want to talk about an easy ass job. Uh, and, you know, people just don't drown every single day. You know, but right. I did have to jump in the water and pull some kids out. You know, every once in a while. But then it was just like this real cake job. Basically, I sat around getting a suntan, right? Uh, you know, I had my my sunglasses on, so you you know, you watch the girls walk by, and you know, you, right. it was a fun <laughs> you know, it was a it was a fun job. And then my dad. And my mom were like, "All right, well, you got college around the corner. Uh, you need to uh, get a, a little job that's going to pay you a little bit more." So my dad, he worked in in construction, and he called in a favor. He's like, "And it really wasn't like I had a choice. They're just like, i 'I'm going to make a phone call to a guy, and you're going to uh, you're going to go work for them.'" So I, I ended up getting in my first job, and my first real physical labor job, you know, where I was going every single day during the summertime was, and this is, this is aside from like baling hay in, in the hot heat, right? I mean, baling hay is hard for one day and then I would have to go back to, you know, go back to school or go back, you know, back home. And I wasn't actually living on a farm, you know, I was just visiting it working and then leaving this was one of those jobs where it's monday through friday sometimes saturdays uh you you get there at seven and you leave at whatever but my job was this construction company would break concrete out they would bring it back to the uh, yard and it was my job to break the rebar out of the um out of the concrete and if it was still good enough they could use it again or if it was damaged so i had to sort it and and put it away and i they i had to do this in between two tin buildings with no wind and here i am with uh this very small jackhammer a sledgehammer and a pick and that's what i did every single day for however many days and just sweated my balls off and that was the point where I'm just like okay I don't want to do this my entire life so I got to figure out like I didn't want to go to college right out of the gate my mom talked me into it but that job that I had right there was one of those jobs where it's just like oh shit this is reality I don't want to do this so maybe I should go to college Um, yeah And, you know, my views on college have kind of changed over the over the years. But uh, I think my mom and dad knew that that I didn't want to go to college and uh, I couldn't join. I wanted to join the Marines, but I couldn't because I had at the time for some reason they weren't taking guys uh, that had metal. And I had metal in my knees from a knee surgery, from a a football injury in high school. So the guy's like, well, you, we can't take, we're not going to take you because you got this, but you know, you can go do the national guard or the army. And I was just like, yeah, I'll go to college. And uh, so my mom talked me into going to college. And then she talked me into going two more years because I graduated from a two year school. And then I was like, and she's, I go, I want to quit. I'll just get a job. And she's like, no, why don't you just give another four years a try, which (laughs) which I did and I ended up graduating. But in that course of that four years, it's just like, uh, how did I even graduate? (laughs) Oh yeah. How did I even graduate from, (laughs) from college? I was such a dipshit and all I cared about was putting as much booze in my system as humanly possible. And, uh, you know, not being a very productive and that actually kind of, followed me up until I was about 30 years old, roughly early 30s. And like, I feel like I wasted my 20s. But every once in a while, I would have these moments where I would run into someone that had some kind of an impact on my life. Um, And I kind of want to get, I feel like I'm rambling there, but I kind of want to get back into the the whole mentors thing. Did you have uh, any mentors, like any teachers or any people in the work space that really uh, either inspired you or maybe changed a direction in you or it's like hey man that's great that you think that way but here's reality
1: yeah the the boss I had when I first started working for this company back in 2007 he was he was a young guy Um, you know I was 19 I think he was 23 and He looked, gosh, he looked 35 or 40, Um, but he was 23. He acted 35 or 40. Yeah. Um, And he, when I was like, you're four years older than me and you're in charge of all these other guys and they all respect you. No one talks back to you like, you know, your stuff. Um, That got my head thinking like, okay, that's the type of person I want to be. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be. The 40 year old with a 20 year old boss yeah so yeah that's that was that was monumental with uh with me um beyond that he he just did a, he had a good way of treating people fairly um never really asking someone to do anything that he hadn't done before um yeah yeah it just he set a really good example and he he, he told he, he taught me um the type of boss that I always wanted to be. So yeah.
0: that's a tough position too cuz I've been in that uh, in those positions before where I was a manager over a guy who had been working a factory line for 20 years, right? In their 50s. And then here I come in in a managerial role just only for one reason only because I had a college education. Okay. And they looked at this young 20-year-old, this mid-20s guy coming in and it's like fuck that dude yep <laughs> i don't yeah. this guy doesn't know shit and i'm going to treat him like that and uh um you know that's a hard pill to swallow right when you have to write somebody up who's 15 to 20 years older than you because they i don't know were late to work or you know they, they they've been late to work or their production isn't uh hi, that's a wake up call man, because cause that is a scary thing, that was a scary thing for me to do, to have to write up, start writing people up and uh, that were, that had been working in a factory for 20 years and they just sat there and they were like, in their head they were murdering me but, Point. you know like, just <laughs> just crazy Um. Yeah. Uh. so you had uh a, a employer or um, a guy who like kind of a, a boss who you kind of looked up to and and took a lot of knowledge out uh, from him. Anybody else?
1: If we're talking work wise, um, well, the boss I have now, I kind of took, he was a project manager and then he became a regional manager. and I took his spot. He, um, he was pretty good boss. He has some things about him um, that I didn't always see eye to eye with. Um, I, he's left-handed so I'd always tell him it's just his left-handed coming out <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so I kind of learned from him some things that like I didn't want to do not that he did really anything wrong because God forbid he listens to this and comes back and wants to kill me but there's uh, <laughs> uh, some things that I do differently than he did just because of who my previous boss was right. um, on the other division of this company but um, no just, just those two guys my 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 dad's always been more of like a borderline white cow coll- white collar type guy or or white collar want to be always probably always feared that I would just end up in the construction industry and work in construction but um for whatever reason that's how some parents are yeah and that's their own problem Don't ever if you make an honest living don't ever feel bad about what the profession is
0: yeah it's not well, like we're sitting here bashing on those people. Cause we're not, um, it's just sure. that like my mom, right. She did not, I mean, she did not really have a college ed- at that time. She didn't have a college education. So for her, she really wanted me to like achieve something more for, and, and that was, that was her goals. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'll give college a try. And you know, that I don't know. And it, it, it wasn't necessarily being, it, it wasn't me that was making the decisions kind of, it was like her and yeah, wanting me yeah. to at least give it a try. And then she's like, well, in order for you to know, I want you to go, you know, work this construction job and it fucking sucked. Right. Yeah. And then that kind of motivated me to go a different route. And it was just, yeah. it sucked from a straight up physical labor standpoint not that the people were bad or not that uh the company was bad it's just that you know there's that old saying that says the world needs to ditch diggers too right oh, yeah. and uh uh you know it's just a different there's different jobs all over the place i i will say that i've, ha- I've had one more person <laughs> in my life that uh well, too, I had a college professor, I forget his name, but he did a really good job of relating what we were doing in the classroom to it being important in the real world. So he always used a lot of real world examples and, uh, you know, real, basically real world examples that, you know, cause sometimes college professors, they just sit there, they give you the rhetoric and then that's it. I mean, yep. just boring yep. ass stuff. And that's why I lost interest in college. But every time I went to this dude's class and it was a marketing class and he would re, he would relate everything that we were doing in class to, Hey, if you get a job in, in this, this is how it, you know, this is how it works. And all, and even though some of those, um, some of that stuff is irrelevant today, just with technology, it was still awesome to be able to get some principles to that have literally lasted me 20 years now since, you know, since I've had that, uh, had his class or, you know, 15 years or whatever. And then the other one was an actual high school teacher. Uh, she's an, she, she ended up passing away a while back, um, from cancer, but it was my senior year in high school. I thought I was untouchable. I thought I was a cool kid. You know, I thought I was just this, like, Guy who was going to be on top his entire life, right? I don't want to say invincible, right? Uh, I don't want to say I was like one of the cool kids in my class, but I got along with everybody, right? I got got along with the shop guys. I got along with the jocks. I got along with, you know, the music kids, uh, you know, some of the foreign exchange students, right? So like I I got along with absolutely everybody and I acted like it. I acted like I was cool. And I started doing dumb shit. You know, I got in, a, I got in a, a really bad wreck when I when I was a senior in high school. And I went in. to I, I had to. It was because we were drinking. So we had senior skip day. Me and my buddy got in this really bad wreck. Long story short, we, sh- we should both probably be dead because of it. And uh, I showed up to school like on Tuesday. I was so sore for like three days. I couldn't even walk. And I showed up to school. And Mrs. Roth basically was like, listen, dude, like, what are you doing? You're not cool. You're not that cool. You're not, you know, like she, she did something that I really respected and that was break me down and basically just tell me that dude, you're, you're, you're not as cool as you think you are, man. I mean, what are you doing? Are you going to be like this forever? Right? and I understand that's a high school kid, but I didn't want to listen to my parents tell me that. Well, because they were my par- parents, right? You don't right. your parents are uncool. They don't they don't know what you're going through when they actually do know what you're going through, right? And they they've yep. been down the same road that you've been. <laughs> yep. It's funny how how that works and being a parent uh-huh. being a parent myself now. But she broke me down and was just like, y- "You have so much potential and you're wasting it." what are you doing and it that was kind of a moment in my life where it didn't i didn't really change but i used that later in my life where i was like dude she knew exactly what she was talking about so all these little things maybe didn't change me right away but they changed me later on down the path cuz i had that i had that experience with them and she was a great teacher um she really was able you know she like teach kids like make everything relatable and at the same time she's just like listen and she was a it was a a class called math for living which all the smart kids went to like calculus two and um whatever all those other big words are for math (laughs) (laughs) trigonometry (laughs) trigonometry, right (laughs) and then she had the class that i went to that was here's how you balance a checkbook here's how you do your taxes here's how you know it's, it's stuff you need to know going into the workforce. So I, uh, I, and going into life and I took that class and, uh, by far one of the biggest, um, impacts in my life was having, in, you know, that, that encounter with her and then multiple encounters after that where we basically became friends, my senior year in high school, and I would go into her class and just chat with her every once in a while. And, uh, her daughter was actually in my graduating class. So, um, She helped with student council and I got into student council and, uh, just, I feel like I not, she knocked me down to a point where I was, I, I started treating other people better because she knocked me down and I realized that I was being just a dipshit. Right. So, uh, her as well. All right. So, um, if you don't have anybody else in the, like the, the, the world of life, like the life mentors, I want to. Uh, transition now to hunting mentors somebody that in the the world of hunting kind of changed your perspective or really motivated you to start hunting or anything like that
1: uh that was so when my parents divorced I was like six and then um by the time I was you know 12 13 I was always saying I had a best friend his name's David always hanging out with him and his family I was always going up to their cabin which is on 200 acres in northern Michigan and um, they were always hunting and so by the time I was oh 15 16 um, I would go up I mean if they, if the, if my friends were going up to their cabin to hunt for that weekend because he's got an older brother too um, that would hunt and if, if there's a group of guys going up to hunt for the weekend, I would go along, even though I didn't even hunt, didn't have any, you know, camo or anything like that, didn't have a weapon. But they would basically place me in just like the shittiest tree stand and I would just hang out. Yeah. No weapon. Nothing. It's like literally nothing. And I would just come back and tell them what I saw and then they would just keep putting me in random stands to, they're like, oh, you can go sit here if you want. With no uh-huh. with
0: no bow or gun,
1: nothing, nothing, zero. Yeah, it was all during bow season. Gotcha. Yep. So I did that for like two years, and then I was like, I don't. Why don't I? They were all like, you should like start trying to kill one of these things. I was like, absolutely. So I asked for a bow for my 18th birthday, and that is when I started bow hunting, and it was just continued on, always going up to my buddy's uh, family's. 200 acres and thinking, yeah definitely shot my first deer there and it, it's kind of it's always been that's where it all started um where it's like taken like the next level i would have to say um there was a book i read uh, it's called from ground to gun it's that's uh, by craig and neil Dofferty, i think is how Doherty or Doherty? I don't know how you say their last name. Doherty. No, it's D-O-U-G-H E R T Y.
0: Okay. It anyway, what's the it's book? about? Ground,
1: yep. It's called Ground Gun. It is it is a book that is like from start to finish about about whitetails and everything, from wind to stand location to the nutrients in the soil and what it does to a herd. Uh, to a buck's antlers, to what the how they act in the summer to the October to November to you know this, the, it covers the whole thing. Yeah, I and gotcha. that yep that opened my eyes because this might sound real dumb, but I I really don't care because I've actually met more people that, like this in the last five years than I thought were actually out there. But unless someone teaches you that. A buck's antlers get bigger every year. You don't always, as a new hunter, you don't always equate age of a deer to antler size. Yeah. You don't, you don't think about maturity of an animal to how big their rack might be or how smart they might be. You just, for the first year or two, if no one's really taught you, you're just kind of out there like, well, that's a big one and that's a small one, and you don't think about how old they are. Yeah. it just never never dawned on me so by the time i was 20 i kind of had it figured out because you just have discussions and you read you read enough and stuff like that but um i still talk to guys today that you know 25 26 27 years old they've been hunting for probably 15 years and you start talking to them about following the same buck for a few years and looking at the char- characteristics of their antlers and they have no idea yeah. that that uh you can do that that a buck will keep having the same characteristics every single year um and just bigger and more you know obviously more dominant stuff like that um just have no idea stuff like that so um that all came through a lot of like self-educating a lot of it came through social media and blogs and and stuff like that um let me ask Sorry, you a
0: question yeah. about your uh, your buddies. You know, when you started going with your buddies, and you finally got a bow on eighteen when you were eighteen, or or even before you got that bow, did your buddies ever talk to you about hunting, or did you have an individual like a, one of their one of your buddies' dads kind of walk you through of hey, uh, you know, about how the wind works or why no. we said no, nothing, just no, there, nothing. There you go, nothing. Yeah.
1: There you go. Go sit in a tree. Yeah. I had one buddy that helped me with, um, it's actually my buddy that I always go to Iowa and Nebraska with. He helped me like dial in my bow and get better at shooting. And he's like help with form. And he was like, this is what you want to look for. This is like, these are the steps to go through. This is how to be accurate consistently. Um, on the archery side, but not
0: necessarily on the hunting
1: side. Yeah. The, everything I learned on the hunting side was through, uh, like the self-teaching. either either yeah. want to call it experience or or looking stuff up on my own and in, in just consumption of of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not gonna lie, Mark Kenyon. A lot of when he was first starting out, um, following along with him, that opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. Again, so I was friends with him before he became Mark Kenyon, the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, the one and only. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, and then, yeah, a couple of books. Jeff Sturgis, he, I read a couple of his books. Those are very, that's more about um, habitat and manipulating habitat to get deer to move how you want them to move. Yeah. Um, those were, so those are some of the big steps. Gotcha. So. Yep. All right. So when I was young,
0: um, when I was young, I ended up. Um, my mom, my, my parents got divorced and then uh, my mom remarried a guy and I wouldn't say he was a hardcore hunter, but every once in a while he would go hunting and maybe he would take us. And I don't know if I necessarily learned anything from him. Um, I just remember getting a bow from a garage sale, I think. And then uh, I didn't necessarily learn a ton about archery. You know, back then it was put a bale of hay up in the backyard. If I could, if I could get four or five arrows in it, at 10 yards I thought I was Levi Morgan right I thought I was the shit and, and you know and like I'm ready <laughs> yeah. I'm ready um other than that um you know time kind of went by and I kind of fell out of the hunting world didn't really go a lot I still found found it but from from a nature standpoint and actually love being out diet, uh, being outside. I got to give my dad a lot of credit for that. Um, and my mom a little bit too, but my dad would always take us camping and we we would go hiking and that necessarily didn't inspire me to go hunting, but it did inspire me to love being outside and love nature and campfires and camping and, and, and hiking. And, and we would, we would go fishing. So, I would say that my dad built the foundation for me, but then it was through a scattered way of, you know, different experiences in the woods, whether it was, you know, me by myself or me with, like uh, the guy who is now my ex stepdad taking me, you know, taking me out. That was several years ago. And then my new stepdad, right. Uh, I was already kind of, I wasn't necessarily a hundred percent into hunting cause I was in college, I think when my mom and my current stepdad got married, but, but he kind of had a, uh, he was, he was an outdoorsman. Uh, he loved to Turkey hunt most of all, I think. And then he's also a deer hunter now. And, uh, well, I mean, he always has been, but he he does all of it. And, um, I guess I I would say that I had people in my life who did it, but nobody so similar to you, nobody who really sat me down and said, you need to do this or you need to do that. Everything that I've learned, I feel has been on a trial and error, fail and teach yourself not to fail again way. And you know, like the, the, the road that I went down was hard And tons of failure. I always, I often look back and say, man, if I, if I knew even, even one year difference of an education or somebody telling me, dude, you can't sit in here because the wind's going to blow here. I always, you know, I don't know about you, but you, 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 look at your wall and then you look at, um, past blown opportunities where a buck comes down wind you and busts you, or you draw back and something makes a noise or your tree stand clinks, or I don't, you know, all of those things that, or I should have been 10 yards deeper and I would have had a shot. I, I don't know about you, but I always look at my wall and I imagine it with all the deer on it that I, I blew the opportunities at. And I'm like, man, that'd be a really good wall.
1: Yeah. Um. Yes and no. Yeah. Uh, two two things. One, I'll back up and I'll say my my dad as well, I, de- I definitely have to like throw him a little credit because he always took us camping. Uh, same thing. Always went camping. He took us out west. He took us down south. He had a motor home. He always made me and my brother sleep in a tent outside. Probably so him and my stepmom didn't have to deal with us inside. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, camp and all that stuff. Yeah. I think he always, especially being in Michigan, he always had a boat, you know, I was out on the water. Um, so yeah, that definitely helped with the transition of, you know, just wanting to be outside friends, going up to a cabin to be outside. Definitely wanted me to, it made me want to join them yeah. instead of, hang out with the other group of friends that are going to sit inside and play video games all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. um, Beyond that, as far as, um, God, what was What what were you just saying? just had, just forgot my train of thought. Like
0: learning from failure and having, uh, talking about your looking looking at your wall and saying, man, if I did things just a little bit differently, there's a potential that my, my wall would be full of all these awesome, big, giant, mature bucks.
1: Yeah, there's a couple different thoughts I have on that. One of them is, um, yes, I do think from time to time, like, oh, my gosh, if I would have known what I know now, 10 years ago, the things that could have happened. But the other thing I think about, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, like, I'm 32, I'm imagining by the time I'm... 65 70 i'll be slowing down yeah pretty good if you put those into numbers that means you, there's only probably 30 more novembers that we'll ever experience yeah. like high quality like with, with high physical health if you're lucky yeah like that's crazy to think yeah um there's only probably 25 or 30 more years that i'll probably be able to go elk hunting like there's only 30 more September's left to go elk hunting. Like when you start putting it in numbers, it it, it can almost scare you you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) it's a with yeah. So with that, my elk hunting partner, I was talking to him, and kind of the same thing about if I know if I knew now what I knew, you know, ten years ago, the things I could have done. And and it kind of goes with telling stories, and it kind of relates to how I like to do a lot of filming. And I like to always capture some story. And sometimes you can't, you don't know the story until the end of the hunt, because that's just, sometimes the stories within the hunt, it's not all the stuff leading up to it. Right. Um, but I also made a post of like, I made a social media post probably about six months ago that said like, if I go somewhere, if I go to Nebraska to uh, fill a buck tag and I don't fill a buck tag, I look at that whole hunt as ultimate failure. And they, they got a whole bunch of backlash and stuff like that. People told me I was crazy. But for some people, um, it's easy to say it, 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 f- complete failure, admitting complete failure will drive me more than saying, well, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this. So I guess it was a success. Yeah. No, I expect to learn that no matter what. I went out there to fill a tag and I didn't do that. So I failed. And my buddy from to, – to get this full circle – My buddy Chris Nolan from Montana that I elk hunt with, he said, dude, you can't look at it that way because sometimes the best stories take four, five, six, seven, ten years to tell. And you don't even know that you're in the middle of the story. So when he told me that, I thought back like, "Okay, so all the stuff that I wish I knew, the only reason I wish I knew them is because I've experienced them through failures. And it's just continued to drive me. To be successful, because I have failed so much. So, hey, I don't know if that all makes sense.
0: No, that does make sense. Uh, tell you what, a slap dick would not say that thing, say those things, dude. <laughs> that's that's some good insight. That's some good insight, man. Um, and, but kind of like kind of going back to um, like, you know, I, I imagine my wall, but. I'm glad that I've had these learning experiences on my own, and I think if I had anybody, I mean that's just my personality, right? I'm the kind of guy who says I want to install electricity into my uh, into my office. I'm the guy who needs to be electrocuted. You know what I mean? Like I, I need. That's how I learn is the hard way, because once you learn the hard way, you typically don't make big mistakes again. And I'm glad that I have had all of those blown opportunities because it has allowed me to get to the person that I am today and the hunter that I am today uh, without without that. So as far as a mentor in the hunting game, um, I, I kind of learned my, uh, uh, I don't know, I've learned through trial and error. I've learned through failure. Now, I will say this. Um, back in my, uh, white knuckle production days, right. When I, uh, started with them, I was like, that was like 2006, right. Um, when Todd started that, Todd Pregnant started that. And I was in, uh, uh, you know, started, you know, working with Todd on that stuff. I will say not a, not a ton because whenever I would be like, Hey Todd, you know, break, you know, help me break down this farm. Help me do this. He'd just be like, dude, Move you know, like just move, move around a lot. You know, he never really would go into any detail other than, uh, just move. And that little bit of knowledge that he kind of, you know, I'm not going to say it was a, a, a huge impact, but it was just enough of a, um, of insight that allowed me to say, okay, well, maybe I need to move this tree stand or maybe I need to uh, be more mobile or whatever. And, uh, that little bit kind of helped guide me in different directions or allowed me to open my brain up and, and, and think more about, uh, the strategy in depth with all the details instead of just going into a place and saying, there's a rub here's the wind let's set up right allowed me to just like calculate more and not necessarily um just you know if then but like if then if then if then if then if then, if then all the way from leaving the truck to setting up the tree stand on let's say like a running gun hunt just allowed you know allowed me to be more critical and more detailed with every decision that I made leading up to where a tree stand would ultimately go. Does that make sense? Oh
1: yeah, 100%, yeah. 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 Yep.
0: So, a little bit from him and then, you know, uh and then cuz I don't know, like you mentioned reading books like I never I I think I had outdoor life, but I I never got into reading a lot of the, the strategy articles I never really got into um you know reading the the books by some of the the well-known hunters or or getting info from someone like Dan Infault which you know he's a he he's really good at what he does or who are the who's the real popular brothers out of Michigan
1: Kiefer brothers no maybe. uh
0: back in the day right I thought they I thought they were from Michigan um Starts with an E.
1: Oh, Eberhart. Eberhart. Uh, yeah. Father's son. Yeah, yeah. So, so John, those guys.
0: John right. So everybody, like, I've never read any books that any of these guys have ever put out, um, and I think that you can take away principles from listening to. What others have to say, and I know a lot of guys reach out to me and go, hey, Dan, I love the guests that you have on. that they, they really do a good job of telling a story to where it has helped me become more mobile or make different decisions, and that's great. But for me, I'm not the guy who can do that. I I, like, I have to learn myself, um, which is kind of contradictory to what I'm even doing. Right? I'm telling people that don't listen to my content. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't listen to my content. You got to go and learn on your own which yeah i think there's a that's a two-way street i honestly think that when you fail you have a lot more it has a bigger impact on on what how you try something different the next time as opposed to reading it and trying something i think you i think you need that failure in life to become more successful and that's not just with hunting but with everything
1: i i totally agree i mean if you always won you would not, I mean, you would just, would you lose the fire? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I talk about, I've talked about Tom Brady a few times in my life, and like, I don't understand where his motivation keeps coming from. Yeah. Like, what, he's won six Super Bowls, he's been to nine of them, but is it because he's lost some? I mean, what makes, what gives someone like that, like, so much competitiveness where they want to just keep on going? Yeah. But, I, I mean, I think some people are born yep.
0: with a competitive, like, they're I'm not competing against Bob Planick. I'm competing against myself every time. And I think that's when, when you start competing right. against yourself, that is when you, like, a person really shines. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Yep. Totally agree. So, yep. Well, man, um, anything else you want to say as far as mentors are concerned?
1: no not really I think um, on the flip side there's and we've kind of talked about this in the past but um, we need to, we need to not be scared to mentor others that's a
0: fact and that's, you know, to, that's actually how to, I was going to end here
1: to be a teacher I yeah. know I've gotten a couple friends into hunting and um, recently through like the QDMA learned that if you want someone to start not that you want if someone's gonna hunt on their own to go from not hunting to hunting on their own, it's a three year mentorship that you probably need to dedicate some time with them for three years. Yeah. Um and, and I I could see that. I've got a friend that I got him out in I got him into hunting and out once and he shot a doe and he hasn't been hunting since. I've got another friend that he has been hunting for two years. He's never shot anything. And I know he'll continue to hunt and maybe it's because of failure that he's continuing to hunt. I don't know. Kind of something to think about there, I I guess. I think
0: when it comes to being a mentor yourself, we all have, we're we're all ourselves in a different path, a different part of our path, right? Some guys are just starting hunting. They want to go out and hunt as much as they can. Then as you start killing stuff and um, then you want to probably change what you're hunting right Hey, now i've killed a whole bunch of does and young bucks now i want to uh, try to shoot a mature buck then you go through a little a path of um i mean i i want to be the best possible hunter i can be i want to be able to uh, walk into the woods read the signs set up and kill an animal uh you know that you know really getting into the details of the terrain and the animals maybe following a deer maybe start to pass deer and this is just my opinion of all of how this works. Yep. And then after you've been successful, you want to maybe hunt just one buck an entire season and, you know, tell, you know, say to yourself, I want to eat tag soup. Right. And then, then I think once you, once you're successful there, and this is where I'm getting close to, I'm, I'm really getting close to being 100, not 100%, because I think as a hunter, you always want to go out and hunt. But at the same time, I'm going to, I feel like I'm getting close to that stage where I want to take the focus off my season and give back to somebody else, whether that is a mentorship or helping someone get, uh, you know, like taking someone out who's never been hunting or helping a new hunter in the woods find success or giving back to conservation or whatever you know but but just basically giving back to the sport that we all take so much from every single season i'm getting close to that point where i just want to start giving back heavily to the sport or whatever we call this hunting and giving back to it and uh yeah i don't know man i think that if you're if you're questioning uh like for me I didn't have a, I didn't like I said I really didn't have a mentor when it when it comes to hunting but I understand the power of a mentor now and I think that if you guys have been around hunting 15 20 plus years I think take an opportunity I think you can find success helping others and not necessarily filling a tag yourself uh, and there's a lot of uh, happiness that can come from that I, like for me uh, I didn't kill a turkey last year, but my wife did and turkey hunting, like for me, turkey season was a success getting my kids outdoors. And, you know, like I don't fish as much anymore because I'm helping them get snags out and putting worms on the hooks and taking fish off. I find that a success and it makes me happy. Uh, so everybody's in a different, a different place on that said path. But I think that, you know, don't be afraid to sacrifice your own season to help somebody else out because i think you can find a lot of enjoyment out of that as well
1: absolutely and if whoever you're mentoring does kill a a deer or an elk and you know you've kind of helped them do that just take the backstraps and you know that's... <laughs> this is your this is your payment
0: for helping me i'm gonna take the best cut of meat off this animal and <laughs> that's funny that's funny <laughs> amen amen well i tell you what man we've been at this over an hour bob uh appreciate you copping on today and again um if you are someone who is interested in giving back dude hit me up i'll uh feed you you know, some insight, uh, hit up Bob. He's got some good ideas as well. And, uh, dude, have a good weekend.
1: Hey, you you do the same.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you all were able to take something away from that episode and maybe put into perspective what life is really about, uh, how we should try to live our lives. Um, you know put things that are important at the top of our priority list and i don't know just try to be a good person you know this is just one of those episodes that i felt i you know i was in the mood to talk about so i wanted to talk about it and uh we'll get back to the regular regular scheduled programs uh later this week but you know i love talking about hunting but i i my gut is telling me that i want to talk about other things in this podcast as well uh i'm a i'm a i'm a bow hunter i'm a hunter and outdoorsman first but there's a there's so much more to life than just hunting and fishing and outdoors although there's times where i i don't know about you but i'm blinded by the passion and um i can put it above other things that are uh you know, equally, if not more important. So just something to think about. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on Facebook. Tell me what you think of this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Be sure you guys are subscribing on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Uh, Check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel coming up. We are going to be adding more content right now. Parker from Southern Ground is just killing it over there so uh, be sure to check out the the, all the awesome content that he's uh, putting out subscribe make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook not only on the nine finger chronicles but on the uh, sportsman's nation as well and all of the uh, content providers on the sportsman's nation and what else what else what else what else oh we gotta we gotta thank our partners here right we got vortex lone wolf wasp Ozonics prime and the average conservationist please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and when you support them they support me and we keep going and we keep going and we keep going so huge shout out to everybody thank you very much live your life to the fullest and uh man just when you when you have time give back